Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the opportunity to come together to study your word, to really understand how our homes can become a little heaven on earth. And Lord, while you've taught us many things from your word, and you've shown us so many things that we must do in cooperation with you, Father, we recognize that one of the very key things that we need to understand are Satan's devices and how they must be identified so that we may know how to overcome even as Christ overcame. And so, Father, we commit ourselves into your hands. May you please take our lives and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. This is our prayer that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we, we saw last night, for those of you, now, you, again, remember I told you, there's a few things you want to have. Number one, you want to have Bibles. Amen? So we all have our Bibles, right? Okay, the last thing you want to do is to hear what a preacher thinks. Because everybody has a thought and everybody has an opinion, including Satan. So you want to make sure that you're not hearing the thoughts and the opinions of men, but you want to hear, thus saith the Lord. And that's why you need your Bibles. But we also understand that you want to have pen and paper. You want to have pen and paper because you're taking notes so that way you can write down the verses, write down the quotes, and that way you can search them out and make sure these things are so and follow in the instructions of the Lord. Amen? All right. Now, last night we talked about Satan's attack against the remnant family. Satan's attack. Now, by the raise of hands, how many of you were here last night? All right. Hands down. How many of you were not here last night? Could you raise your hands? Oh, my word. Okay, that's a lot of you. Oof. Okay. Last night, we found out some very important gems from the Bible and from the spirit of prophecy as it relates to the fact that we have an enemy. Now, there's one thing I do want to show you. Go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll do a brief review, and then we're going to have to press forward. Thank God that these messages are recorded, so you'll be able to download them and get all of the detail. But I do want you to see this. We, we were talking about God's plan of success. And when we were looking at God's plan of success in the work, we saw that there was something very important. We asked the question about the Apostle Paul. And we saw that the Apostle Paul was a very successful minister. But in the Apostle Paul being a successful minister, we were asking the question, well, what was it that he did that made him so successful? A lot of people gave a lot of answers. They said he prayed, he had a connection with his father, he loved the people, and the list goes on. And all of those answers were right, but we looked at something that we normally do not consider, and it was found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, you'll notice that the Bible says something very important that also was a contributor to Brother Paul's success. Now, if you're there, please let me know by saying amen. All right, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it is dealing with an issue of a brother who has fallen into sin in the church of Corinth. And Paul is admonishing the brethren to forgive this brother. Now, the Bible goes on to tell him, it says in verse 8, Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. This is the brother who fell. Paul says, confirm your love towards this guy. Let him know how much you love him, even though he fell into sin and transgression, because he was in very much despair. Well, verse 9 says, for to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. 
Now in verse 11, he says what will happen if he did not forgive. It says, lest Satan should what? Satan should get an advantage over us. And then the conclusion of the statement says, for we are not ignorant of what? His devices. What we saw last night was one of the reasons why Paul was such a successful minister of the gospel was in addition to his prayer life, in addition to his love for the people, in addition to his calling from the Father and his relationship with Jesus, in addition to all these things, Paul was not ignorant of how Satan worked. That was a literal contributor to the success of his ministry. Because did you notice what the verse said? If he was ignorant of Satan's devices, what would Satan have over him? He would have an advantage. Now, if Satan has an advantage of you, over you, is that a successful ministry? No, it is not. So one of the reasons why Paul was so successful is also because he understood Satan's devices. He knew how he worked. Now, we went through an in-depth study yesterday looking at how the enemy works. And we saw that Satan has a master plan. In fact, we were talking about how Satan attacked Christ. And we saw that according to Psalm 69 and verse 20, the Bible says, reproach hath broken my heart. The Messianic Psalm, Psalm 69 and verse 20. That means when it's a Messianic Psalm, it means that that Psalm is an expression of what Jesus was the Messiah was going to go through. Are you following? Are you following? All right. Remember, I told you you're in a great controversy. Stay focused. Now. Jesus said in that messianic psalm, sin or rather reproach has broken my heart. But then we went and looked a little further and then we saw that in Proverbs 14, 34, it says righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So when it says in Psalm 69, 20, talking about Jesus, when it says that reproach hath broken my heart, what was it that broke the heart of Jesus? Sin. Very good. So sin broke the heart of Jesus. In other words, it was sin, brothers and sisters, that killed Christ. It was not the thorns on his head. It was not the spear in his side. None of those things. Jesus died of a broken heart, according to the scripture. Now, we saw then that Satan's weapon, weapon attack then is that when he attacked Christ, who is the embodiment of truth, he attacked him by aiming at his heart. We discovered last night that there are two hearts that Satan is now aiming his weapons at. We saw two hearts. The first heart, I want to bring this up on the screen because I want you to see this. The first heart, I'm going to go back a couple of slides just so you can see this. We saw that Satan aims at the heart. Now, what's that heart right there? Do you know what that is? That is the headquarters of the worldwide body of Seventh-day Adventists. That is the headquarters, okay? In other words, this is where the men and women of God meet to take a lot of things that we have voted on in our in our duly appointed order at a general conference and session. And then they take those things and they begin to filter it out to the body so that the body may receive whatever was discussed. Satan says, that's where I'm aiming my weapons. That's the heart of the work. Notice the quotation. Look at it again. It says, if the heart of the work becomes corrupt, the whole church, how much of the church? The whole church in its various branches and interests scattered abroad over the face of the earth suffers in consequence. Whatever comes out from the headquarters is going to hit every branch of the work. Are you following? Yeah. 
So therefore, if Satan really wants, think about it, in the war, in, uh, in, 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 in World War I, World War II, if they wanted to go ahead and destroy the opposing enemy, what they would do is they would poison the water system. That was one of the ways they would do it. They'd poison the water system, and then anybody who would partake of water, because everybody gets thirsty sooner or later, when anyone would partake of that water, they would go ahead and take in that poison, and that poison would kill them. So it is that Satan says, he says, I've put together a plan that I want to infiltrate the headquarters. He says, I want to get in there, because if I can get in there, then what's going to happen is if I can plant my seeds of poison, then it's going to branch out, and it's going to touch how much of the church? The whole church. That's why, look at what the next quote says. In volume four of the Testimonies to the Church, page 210, it says, Satan's what work? Satan's chief work is where? At the headquarters of our faith. That's his chief work. He says, I'm putting together my guns to especially penetrate the headquarters. Why? Because he knows whatever goes to the headquarters is going to affect the whole church. You following? So therefore, he says, this is where I'm aiming my weapons. So it says he spares no pains to corrupt men in responsible positions and to persuade them to be unfaithful to their several trusts. Now, last night we saw that there are several problems. Now, brothers and sisters, let me make something plain to you. How many of you believe that we are in great need of a revival and a reformation right now? How many of you believe that? You believe that? Amen. Now, I remember going to one place, and when I went to that place, I sat down with a president of a conference. And when I sat down with that president, he said, Brother Lemon, I want you to help us in this location. And because these things are recorded, I'm keeping the location general. But when I sat down with him, he was, he was, a, he was a conference president. He says, we need a revival in our specific area. And I said, all right, not a problem. He says, can you help us? I said, it'd be my pleasure to help you, but I have a question for you. I said, do you believe that we are in need of a revival and a reformation? And his answer was, yes, I do. Yes, we believe it. And I was sitting down with him and his staff, and I had another missionary working with me. And I said, all right, then that means you understand that our churches are dead. And I was quiet, deliberately. I wanted that to sink in his head. I said, that means you understand our churches are dead. And some of his staff had very confused faces. I mean, they were like, what do you mean our churches are dead? I said, brother, I said, listen, how many of you are medical professionals in this room? Are there any medical professionals here? All right, good. All medical professionals, please check the preacher on this. Last I checked, the only thing that needs to be revived is something that stopped breathing. Right or wrong? Okay, so the medical professionals have endorsed my statement. Brothers and sisters, the only reason a church needs a revival is because somewhere along the lines it stopped breathing. Its breath has gotten to a point that is up to the point of death, and therefore it needs to be revived, resuscitated, so that it may come back to life. Now, brothers and sisters, do the offshoots need to be revived? I say yes. I can say, sure, they need to be right. They need to come back to an understanding of God's truth. So, yes, I believe the offshoots need to be revived. Not a problem. But, brothers and sisters, when Ellen White made that statement about revival and reformation is the greatest and most urgent of all of our needs, to seek this should be our first work. Was she talking about offshoots? No, what was she talking about? 
She was talking about us. She was talking about us. She was talking about the body. She was talking about all of us who make up the membership of the worldwide body of Seventh-day Adventists who are under the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. So it should not surprise anybody to understand that Satan says, I've set my chief work to hit that headquarters, and apparently he must be having success. Has to be. You know why? Because if he wasn't having success, we wouldn't need revival and reformation. Are you following? There are elements, there are powers that be that are in our church, in our movement, in very high places that have set it to their will to make sure that they tear down what Christ is trying to build up. That's a fact. And therefore, we see that we are in trouble. It's not just offshoots that are in trouble. It's not just all these other groups that are in trouble. We, as the organized body of Seventh-day Adventists, we are in trouble. We need revival and reformation. Are you following? Now, we asked the question last night, well, if we see these things happening in our church, if we see all these problems that are taking place in our church today, the question is this, and I, and I asked this question, and so, since there's so many of us here that are new, I'm going to ask you this question. When you think of a headquarters, don't you typically think of a place that's well protected? I don't know why, but every time, just growing up, anytime I heard about welcome to the headquarters of blank, whenever I think of a headquarters of a location, I think of a place that is very well protected. Are you following? Something that there's a lot of guards and people to qualify individuals to see if they should be allowed inside the headquarters. You get what I'm saying? Now, my question was this. If Satan's chief work is at the headquarters of our faith, then that means that he had to find some way to get in there. And my question was, how did he find a way to get in? And you know what? I found out why. Now, again, I gave all the scriptures last night, but I'll just give you this quotation. I want you to look at this now. The quotation is simply this. Society is composed of what? Families, and is what the heads of families make it. Out of the heart are the issues of life, and the heart of the community, of the church, and of the nation is the what? Is the household. So therefore, if we would faithfully study the Bible, you would find that every time you would see apostasy come into God's church, it was because apostasy first came into their home. Are you following? In other words, there, if there's apostasy in the home, then there will be apostasy in the church. So if we really want to see revival and reformation, it must not start in the church. It must start where? In the home. There is no way that the church will be revived. There is no way that the church will be reformed unless we first understand that our own homes need to be revived. Our own homes need to be reformed. Are you following? It is only at that time that God is going to be able to work in us and through us for his glory. So therefore, we discovered then that when Satan was aiming for the heart, it is not so much that he's just aiming for the heart of the work as it relates to the headquarters. But before he could get into the headquarters, he had to get into the homes, which is the truest and most clearest sense of the heart of God, the home. Now understanding this, we said, well, then we need to understand something about Satan. Now, let me show you something. We said we need to understand his methods. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a little biblical investigation of some methods of attack that Satan used in times of old. And then we're going to see if by chance he's using those methods today to hinder us from experiencing true revival and reformation in the home so that we may experience it in the church 
so that we may go forward and finish the work and Jesus can finally come and bring us home. Now, notice these quotations from the Bible. I want you to look at this. These are some things you want to write down. There are three ways that I have highlighted. There are actually more ways, but there are three ways that I have highlighted. In other words, if Satan wants to attack the home, then what that means is that by chance, the enemy may be in our home. In fact, we might even be sleeping with the enemy. And what we want to do is we want to make sure, we want to identify him. Because if we can identify Satan and see him for who he is in our homes, then we know that we need to tap into a power source to get him out. Amen? Notice the first one on the list. The first one on the list we're going to highlight here is that Satan would challenge authority. That was actually a method of Satan as it relates to attacks in the home. Satan would challenge authority. Now, where do we get this from? We went to Isaiah 14. So let's turn there now. Isaiah, the 14th chapter. And this is good. I want you to see this because if you're single, you need to know these principles before you even think about getting married. If you're married, then obviously you're going to see areas where we may have to say, okay, here's a need for some change in our home. So notice what the Bible says as we consider Isaiah, the 14th chapter. Now, I want you to look at this because this is a very popular text of Scripture, but now we're trying to understand it as it relates to Satan and his attacks against the remnant families. The Bible says in Isaiah, the 14th chapter, if you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says in Isaiah 14 and verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Now, look at verse 13, because the question is being asked in verse 12, Lucifer, what happened? That's basically what is summing up in verse 12. Lucifer, what happened? The answer is now coming in verse 13. In verse 13, it says, for thou hast said in thine heart, what? I will ascend above the stars of God. It says, I will ascend into heaven, rather. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Satan was discontent with the role that God gave him. What was Satan discontent with? Was, Sa was Satan already a very high-ranking angel? Yes, he was. He was already a high-ranking angel. You can't help but to see that in Ezekiel 28. But here it is that he said that's not enough. He says, I want the authority that God has. Is that right? Now watch this. So therefore, Satan, he was not satisfied with his role. So therefore, he wanted to ascend to another role to be equal to, if not better than God. Are you following has God established roles in the home? Yes. yes, he did. Now, brothers and sisters, you know, one of the things that amazes me about our latest events in our wonderful church is that when I see individuals go ahead and pass these votes, irregardless of the fact that, you know, the general conference president has pleaded with them to say, all I'm asking is for you to wait. That's all he said. He, he did, you know, it'd be one thing if he would have said, listen, the answer is no, we're not going to vote for this. If he would have said that, it would have been another deal of, on saying, okay, how do we address this? But he appealed and said, listen, we're not saying no, we're just saying, wait. We want to have this among, this is going to be a worldwide decision that's going to affect the church. Therefore, let's do it with the duly appointed delegates in general conference in session. That was sensible. That was sensible. 
But because individuals who profess to be part of the patient saints demonstrated impatience, they decided to say, we are going to go ahead and do what we want anyhow. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Those individuals who voted that, and if any of you are in this room and you were for that vote, I'm telling you right now, you have no idea the floodgate of hell you just opened up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. You have no idea. Because if individuals can now say we can do what we want as long as there's enough of us to go ahead and agree on it, you have no right to tell an offshoot they're wrong. You have no, Shepherd's Rod have every right to exist. Branch Davidians have every right, every offshoot group says thanks a lot, CUC and PUC, you just justified our existence. Brothers and sisters, we have to understand. Do you know that if we simply understood that when God established the home, the home was considered to be the first church. And what did God establish in the home? Roles. And brothers and sisters, it didn't matter if one held the role of mother and one held the role of father. Brothers and sisters, even though they're different in value, God says they're both equal to me. But did God set one to be above the other? Yes. He sure did, didn't he? He sure did. So the same way that God says that this is what I've established for the home, then what happens is when the church existed, the church was an extension of the home and therefore the church has roles. Now, brothers and sisters, one of the things with Satan is Satan always wanted equal rights. Are you following? But we saw that it went deeper than that. Satan was not simply trying to be like the Most High. He wanted to be above him. He wanted to usurp authority. Now, here it is that we find that one of the aspects or the character of Satan is that he is one that likes to challenge authority. Now, you know what I find to be interesting about that? What do you think of when you see a picture like this? Makes your heart almost go out to that brother, doesn't it? You can tell he's taking a licking, isn't he? He's getting it. Now, you know, when God established the home, God did not just simply establish the home. God established rules to govern the home. And God even established rules of communication on how things should be done in the home. Now, there's these things. Now, sisters, I'm going to talk to you for a minute. Don't worry, brothers, you're coming next. But sisters, as a result of what's called the women's lib and a lot of this, you know, pursuit of false equality, Whatever you can do, I can do it too. And whatever you do, I do better. And the list goes on. And all these different things. This concept has absolutely poisoned the mind, not just simply of women in general, but it has, it has even touched the mind of many of our dear sisters, even in the remnant church. Now, I am not saying that a man has any right to raise his voice at a woman. Let me make that very clear. A man has no right to raise his voice at a woman. Amen. All right, so I want you to take this picture with a grain of salt because she's clearly raising her voice at him. Would you agree? Yeah. All right, now, but watch this. There's a point that comes out of this. Now, I want you to think about this. What's happening here is there is clearly a sister who is speaking in a very authoritative manner to her husband based on the picture. 
Are we following that picture so far? That's basically, that's all the point we want to bring out. Now, I want you to look at this quotation from a point from history where Sister White was actually counseling a dear sister and it was how she was talking to her husband. Would you like to see what it says? Notice what inspiration says. Mary, this sister's name was Mary. This comes from the book Testimonies on Sexual Behavior, Marriage, and Divorce. It says, Mary, I wish in all sisterly and motherly kindness to kindly warn you upon another point. I have often noticed before others a manner you have in speaking to John in a rather dictating manner. So in other words, Sister White was observing that there was this sister who was talking to her husband, John, and she was very dictating to him, always telling him what to do, when to do, how to do. And the list goes on. Very dictative spirit. Now, she says, the tone of your voice sounding what? Impatient. You ever met a wife who is talking to her husband in a very impatient tone? Do you know any wives like that? Now, look at the further of the counsel here. It says, Mary... Others notice this and have spoken of it to me. It hurts your what? It hurts your influence. All of us have influence. This was hurting Mary's influence. Now, I want you to look at the rest of this now. Now, consider this. She says, we women must do what? We must remember that God has placed us what? Subject to the husband. Do you know that people hate that today? Do you know a lot of people hate that counsel? They said, what do you mean subject to that? Don't you understand we're in 2012? This is women's lib, baby. This is equality. <laughs> That's what you hear a lot of people say nowadays. But the Bible says that this, this establishment that God made is that our dear sisters were to be what? Subject to the husband. Now, let's make this clear so we can get it out the way. We are not talking about men who behave in brutal, ungodly, uncontrollable manners. We are not talking about men who behave themselves in ungodly fashions and are going around trying to tell the wife what to do, even if it's against the will of God. Sisters, God has made it clear that when a man is giving any instruction to his wife and if he is pulling her to go ahead and try to do something against the will of God, brothers and sisters, you ought to repeat the words of Peter. We ought to obey God rather than men. Are you following? So we're not dealing with that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a husband and a wife who both profess to follow Jesus and who both are professing to be part of the remnant family of God and who are seeking to do the will of God. But the problem with Mary was that she was disrespectful in the manner, in her tone of voice on how she spoke to her husband and she forgot that she was called to be subject to him. Are you following? Now, it goes on to say he is the what? The head. Now, I'm going to talk about the head in our next session when we deal with the husband and the wife in the most holy place. When we get to the husband and the wife in the most holy place, we're going to define these terms like the head of the household and the list goes on. So we're going to go through this just for face value. We're going to go deeper in our next session, the husband and wife in the most holy place. It says he is the head. Now, look at this statement here. We're talking about some serious reforms that need to take place. He is the head and our judgment and views and reasonings, what? Must agree with his, if possible. Now, I want you to capture what's being said. It is saying that if you have a very, if you're disagreeing with him, it says that our reasonings, our judgments, and it says our views must be in agreement with his if possible. Now, what if it wasn't possible to be in agreement? Look at what it says next. It says, if not, in other words, if not, if not, 
Look at what it says next. The preference in God's word is given to the husband. Where it is not a matter of conscience. As long as it is not a violation of your conscience, it says views, reasonings, and judgments are to be sought to be agreed upon, but if they can't be agreed upon, sisters, God says it is in his order to surrender that reasoning, judgment, and view and allow the husband to take the lead. And there are many sisters today that says, I will not agree with that. I will fight against that. And I'm going to go ahead. And there are going to be times that my judgments, my views and my reasonings are going to stand superior. In other words, they're going to fight against authority. And when they do that, guess who's in your home? Satan, Satan himself. Are you following? There are many people today that think that because my husband makes less money than me, I now can be the one to call the shots in the home. Brothers and sisters, that's not biblical thinking. That is completely worldly thinking. There are some who feel that because of all these different agitations that are taking place, I knew it would get quiet in here, but that's all right. I know it's truth what I'm teaching. It's truth. You're not supposed to like it because we all have a sinful nature, and the sinful nature never likes the truth of God's word. But brothers and sisters, what we have to do is if we, you see, because it's so easy, as long as everything stays abstract and undefined, it's very easy to say, oh, yes, we want revival and reformation in our home. We'll stand up to a thousand appeals. But when somebody says, all right, what that means, sister, is that you need to make sure that all of your judgments, views and reasonings, as long as your husband is a man of God, you need to make sure all your judgments, your views and your reasonings are either in agreement with him. And if not, you have to let him lead the way. Now, that's specific. And that's when you find out. I remember I met a sister and one day she was telling me, oh, I want to follow God. I want to do everything he says. Oh, I love Jesus. I want to do everything he says. I said, is that right? Yes. I said, all right, let's go to the Bible. And I said, sister, can you do me a favor? She said, what? I said, do you really love Jesus? Yes. Do you want to do his will? Yes. I said, all right. Do you believe the Bible and spirit of prophecy? Yes. I said, then why is it that testimonies to ministers and gospel workers, page 180 and 181 says, not one penny should be spent on a circlet of gold to testify that we are married, and yet you still have a wedding ring on? I said, would you be willing to study the Bible and the spirit of prophecy to see where God has made it clear that he does not want his people wearing jewelry and that there is no difference between a wedding band and a college ring? Boy, y'all quiet today. Let me tell you something. Commercial. Brothers and sisters, one of the reasons we have so many of the problems we have in the church today, especially when it comes to our young people, our young people pay more attention to what they see than what they hear. It is impossible, and I challenge anybody to do it, pick up your Bible and go to that young man or young woman that you're preparing for baptism and show them why they need to take their neck chain off their earrings off, and their bracelet off, but why you can keep your wedding ring on. Open up your Bible and show them. Now, I'm not a prophet, but guess what? I'm going to tell you in advance, you will fail all day long. You're not going to succeed. And young people pay more attention to what they see than what they hear. So what I'm telling you is that if we're really going to say, oh, I want a revival and a reformation in our home, the question is, are you willing to follow this counsel, dear sisters? 
Are you willing to say that when I go home, if I can honestly say, honestly, don't try to make it up, but if you can honestly say, I know that my husband has submitted his life to Jesus Christ, and I know that my husband is one who wants to lead us in the path of the Lord, then once you can say, yes, I see that, then sisters, can you see that God is saying that your judgments, your views, and your reasonings must be in agreement with his, and if not, he must have the preference as long as it is not a violation of conscience. There are some things a man can ask a woman to do that can literally violate her conscience and make her feel dirty or make her feel like she is turning against God in some shape, form, or size. Those are things, sisters, you are never to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's clear. But if it's something you just say, well, I just don't agree with it. But yet he says, I believe that the Lord is leading us in this direction. God says... This is what is to be followed. Do you still want a revival and reformation in your home? Amen. Are you sure? Amen. Are you sure? Amen. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. I don't have fun with this. This is not something that I'm trying to, 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 to present to anybody to punish. But what I'm saying is, is that true as you know, in the book education, page 57, it says the greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. One of the problems we're having is, I, I notice Satan is so slick. Because nowadays you can talk with some leaders and ministers and people in the church and say, do you believe in victory over sin? And they'll say, uh, yes, I do. And then it's like, all right, are you willing to call it by its right name? And this is now one of those issues that we have. There are individuals who say, oh, we can have victory over sin, as long as it stays nice and open and abstract. But once we begin to get specific and say, that is sin, that is sin, that is sin, and point it out and call it by its right name, it is at that time that the soul finds itself in a great controversy. That's why I've learned to appreciate when Jesus shows me my sins. I'm serious. I appreciate it because if I leave it up to me, that's why in the, in the sanctuary services, when somebody would confess their sin, it says in Leviticus 5.5, it says that when they were to confess their sins, they were to confess their sins in that thing. In other words, the Bible was making it clear that when you confess a sin, you're not to just go to the Father and say, Father, please forgive me for my sins. Because many a times, we don't even know what the sins are that we're doing that we're asking God to forgive us. It just became a part of a daily habit prayer. Father, forgive me for my sins. But when we start saying, Father, forgive me for lying. I'm a liar. Please give me victory over this lying issue. Now you, because we're not informing God. He already knew. But now we see the problem. And now we know what to open our hearts to Jesus and let him be that Lamb of God that takes away that sin. Are you following? So it is that if we want... Satan out of our home, we must first identify where he is. And one of the areas where he is is this attack on authority, brothers and sisters. I have seen men get absolutely minimized by their wives. I have seen that. And believe me when I say, you know, one of the reasons why I found that, that I'm, I'm privileged to have a bride that, you know, it's funny. When we got married, when it came to painting the room, man, I tell you, that was some drama. <laughs> I mean... My wife and I, we're going back and forth. And I'm just like, I think the room should be this color. She's like, no, Dwayne, I think the room should be this color. And, you know, and we're just going back and forth. And I found that we have some challenges sometimes agreeing on what color we should paint a room. 
But when it comes to we should live here if we're going to have children. We should go ahead and have worship every morning and every evening, and we should do it at these times. We should go ahead and do such and such and such. When it comes to the things that carry weight, brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that the Lord is blessed with a spirit of cooperation in our household. Now, let me let you in on a secret. Brothers, when we serve our wives as Christ served the church under the wonderful banner of the principle of self-sacrifice, I believe we will not have a problem seeing our sisters allowing us to be the head. So that's just a little tidbit to help us out. We'll talk more about that when we get to the head of the household. So therefore, when we talk about identifying the device of Satan, one of the devices of Satan that has come inside of the home nowadays is the idea that individuals can usurp authorities in positions where God has not put it. And right now, this is especially an issue in Adventist homes, especially amongst our sisters. Brothers, can you say amen? amen. Sisters, can you say amen? amen? It's the truth. It's the truth. So God is saying, listen, we must remember. I like that point in the end that she says. She says, where it is not a matter of conscience, we must yield to the head. That comes from Testimonies and Sexual Behavior, page 28. Now, I told you that it's not just the sisters, but it's also the brothers. See, God wants to hit the whole family. God says, listen, our dear sisters, sometimes there's an authority issue. And I believe with all of my heart that these things happening in CUC and PUC is an issue of understanding these roles. For some reason, a, a, a sister thinks that she is not equal just because she can't hold the position of a pastor or an elder. Brothers and sisters, that's not true. They're, you know the highest position in ministry? Listen, there's some, how many in here are seven-day Adventists? All right, that's, that's pretty much all of you, right? Now watch this. Seventh-day Adventists believe in the spirit of prophecy, amen? amen? So that means that you understand that the writings of Ellen White is not just the opinion of a little old lady from the 1800s with a third-grade education, right. right? It is the what? Testimony of Jesus. You believe that? Amen. Did you know what Jesus said is the highest ministerial position? The mother. The mother. The mother. The highest ministerial position that could be given to humanity is when someone is a mother. That role, that job, that position is more important than even the minister who stands at the desks and preaches the word. Here's what's even deeper. Did you know that in Evangelism 2.22, it says that the preaching at the desk is the easy part of the work? Why is everybody fighting over the easy job? I'm serious, you read it. It says that, the, it says the preaching of the, the preaching, do you know what myself, Brother Waller, Brother Kiela Thompson, Sister Parker, do you know what we're all doing here? This is, this is the, I didn't say this work is easy. That's not what I said. What I said is this is the easiest part of the work. Are you following? That's what inspiration says. The harder part is when you're going in those homes and you're studying with people and you're sitting down with them and you're praying with them and you're pleading with them and you're helping them and counseling them and consulting them and literally walking with them through their issues. That is the hardest part of ministry, brothers and sisters. Why are people fighting and causing splits and schisms in God's church over the easiest part of ministry? Brothers and sisters, we would do well to understand that if the truth be told, there are many people under the sound of my voice in this tent right now 
that some things have really got to change in our homes. And sisters, God has spoken. You must allow, if, as long as your husband is not going around trying to just be some quote-unquote loser, but if he is striving to live and be everything that God has called him to be that makes up a house band, we must allow that individual to be the head of that household and to make those decisions and do your best to agree. It doesn't mean that you just are quiet and you don't have a voice anymore. Of course you can talk, but brothers and sisters, we must understand that God has spoken and made it plain. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, there are other ways that things can happen because remember, it was not just simply that he tried to usurp authority, but go to Matthew chapter 26. There was something else that took place. Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew 26, I want you to notice what the Bible says as we consider verse 14, Matthew 26 and verse 14. We're just identifying if he's in our house because many a times we're talk, we're praying and pleading with God. I remember a person, they got sick, they had a disease and they wanted to overcome it. And they were praying and fasting and pleading with God. Oh, Lord, please help me to overcome this disease, please, please. And they were going through and they were not seeing that success that they wanted. But eventually, when we sat down with the individual and studied with them, we realized that they were still smoking. Now, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're doing all this praying and everything else, and you're wondering why the cancer is still in your life, but here it is that you're still smoking. How can you honestly expect God to deliver you from the cancer if you continue doing the thing that brought the cancer in? Brothers and sisters, my point is very simple. There are lots of families right now that are praying and pleading with God. Oh, Lord, please remove Satan from our home. Oh, Lord, please help my home become a home that the angels love to dwell. Oh, Lord, please do such and such and such. But as soon as husband dares to do anything wrong, did not tell. And all of this disrespect, angry tones, usurping of authority. Listen, I'm going to do what I want to do because at the end of the day, I'm the one that's making even more money than you in the home. You would think that these type of statements are only that which is in the world. But brothers and sisters, that's in the church now. These are statements that people are making and they call themselves seven-day Adventists. Are you hearing me? If we have this kind of attitude, God says there's no way in the world that you're going to be able to get Satan out when quite honestly, you're inviting him in. And that's why the truest sense of a medical missionary is that medical missionaries always ascertain causes. The cause. Why do you have these problems in your home? And when you begin to assess your life, many a times we will find this is where I've been inviting the devil in my house all along. Parents will say, oh, my children has ABC problems, but then they let their children play the video game. They have the demonic impressions on the television set that's literally bringing the problem. Are you following so you got to ascertain the cause. You got to really look at that household. You got to look at your life. You got to look at your marriage. You got to look at all those things and say, why do we have all these variances? Why do we have all these problems? And you'll find that the more that we start to assess, we'll start seeing, wow, look at that. Here goes the issue right here. And guess what? I'm going to let you in on a secret. The cure is typically in the cause. Did you catch that? The cure is typically in the cause. Sat down with a sister. She had high blood pressure. She said, I stopped eating salt. I'm exercising. I'm doing all these things, but I still have high blood pressure. I said, tell me about your diet. I said, since you eliminated salt, what are you using for seasoning? She says, well, I'm using black and white pepper to replace the salt. She says, I put it on everything that I eat. 
I opened up my little foods book put together by the medical doctors, and I showed them right there at the bottom of the page. I said, can you read that for me? And she read it, and it said, black and white pepper causes hypertension. So guess what she did? She said, well, here goes the cause, so therefore let me go ahead and eliminate that thing and when she eliminated that thing and continued with the healthful lifestyle and the drinking of water and so on, within three weeks, she had perfect blood pressure. So you'll find that the cure is typically in the cause. If you're finding, man, it seems like we can't get along in our homes and so on and so forth, one of the things that has to be asked is, dear sister, are you consistently challenging your husband's authority in the home? Do you do that? If she says yes, it is because she is inviting Satan in the home because challenge of authority is an attribute of Satan's character. Jesus subjected himself to authority. Are you following? Now, Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew, the 26th chapter, let's notice what the Bible says as we consider verses 14 through 16. Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. There's another one that is an issue. Matthew 26, verse 14. Are you there? The Bible says, then one of the uh, 12 called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, what will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. And that him is none other than Christ. Judas was consistently motivated, whether he worked for Jesus or whether he worked for himself. He was always motivated by self-motivation. He always was motivated by self-upliftment, self-aggrandizement, something that's going to build me up in the midst of everything else. It was self-motivated service that eventually corrupted the mind of Judas that brought him to the point that he actually turned in the master. And the question is, do we find self-motivated service in the home? Selfish, motivated services. I want you to think about this. Imagine this couple, right? Husband and wife, they're taking a nice wedding picture. They're very happy because they're obviously beginning their new life together. But it's possible that even when people get married, you know, some of the things that we would do well to check are our motives. Go to the book of James chapter 4. Let me show you something. In James chapter 4, you'll find that God, he gives counsel as it relates not just to the actions or behaviors of an individual, but he also gives counsel as it relates to the motive of an individual. Notice how the Bible spells it out in James, the fourth chapter. In James chapter 4, look at what the Bible says here as we consider motive. The Bible says in James 4, starting at verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own what? Lust, that war in your members. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Now, one of the reasons they have not is because they what? Ask not, but notice another reason why individuals don't get what they ask for. Verse 3, it says, ye ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may do what? Consume it upon your lust. There are certain things that an individual can ask for, but as a result of foul motive, God says, I will not answer that prayer. Motive plays a big part in the work of the gospel. It is possible that someone can preach the gospel and baptize people, which is a good work, amen? amen? But at the same time, someone can preach and baptize people so that they can be recognized by their conference and be promoted to another level that they can become an administrator in the office. Is that a bad motive? Yes. So it's possible to do a good work, but have a foul or bad motive. 
How about when individuals go ahead? You got individuals who will go ahead and sell books, canvassers. We have a lot of canvassers who come here. It is possible that we can go to door to door and sell books to people with truth-filled literature. Is that good? Yes, but if the individual goes door to door to sell truth-filled literature so that they can go ahead and make thousands of dollars so they can buy the latest BMW, Mercedes, or whatever other luxury car that may be, is that a good motive? No, it is not. You get the point. You can do a good work, but you can have a bad motive. Now, is getting married, is that a good thing? Amen. Getting married is a beautiful thing when it's done right. But it is possible that an individual can get married, which is a good thing, but they can have a bad motive like this. Can you imagine when this brother, imagine somebody gets married and he says to himself, boy, I sure hope she realizes who the new boss of the house is, the car, and especially the checkbook. In other words, it is possible that somebody can marry someone for their own selfish motives so that maybe they can have a more secure life because their lives are so insecure. Their lives are so messed up, therefore they look for some stable sister and then go ahead and woo her and steal her heart and get married to her so she can provide a level of stability in his life. That's a bad motive, brothers and sisters. Are you following? Do you know that Ellen White, she saw that there was an individual who married a young lady and she called him out and saw that the reason he married her was for a foul motive. Notice this quotation here. Your course since your marriage, it says your course since your marriage in taking possession of and controlling the means, the money. It says your course since your marriage in taking possession and controlling the means of her whom you had made your wife shows your motives to be wrong. You see, these are not problems that just exist today. These are problems that existed over 100 years ago. Men who would actually marry women just so that they can be more well off because maybe she was making a better income than he was. This is real, brothers and sisters. People do things like this. And it may not be monetary, but it can be any reason. Individuals who take advantage of the dear sisters. And brothers, this is a sin. Whenever you remember that eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, remember that also includes a woman's affections. Remember that. It is not just a sin and a violation of God's law to walk in a store and take out merchandise that doesn't belong to you. It is a sin when you flirt and play around with women and mess with their affections, especially when you know you have no real intention on loving them and taking care of them and providing heaven on earth for them. The Bible declares that as a sin. And there are brothers that do that today. They're thinking about themselves. Oh, I'm so uncontrollable. I have no temperance and I need to have sex. So let me go ahead and just ask, oh, let's get married. So that way he can remove the guilt from his mind where all along that was the whole motive behind the marriage was so that he can have a license to be a pervert. Are you following? No, this is serious, brothers and sisters. Do you know how many individuals are married today and it was purely based on physical attraction? It was purely based on the license to do something that the word of God condemns otherwise. People say, well, I don't want to be a fornicator. Oh, well, Paul said, don't let yourself burn with passion. So go ahead and get married. Brothers and sisters, you do well to understand what the text is saying. So there are people today who are getting caught up in marriage covenants, but they're doing it for selfish reasons, just like this brother was. It says, you had made your wife. It shows your motives to be wrong. All these things are against you and show on your part very deep what? Selfishness and a dictatorial spirit which God would not have her submit to. Now notice what it says next. 
It says you are a man of extremes. You move by impulse and are most of the time more directly under the control of evil angels than the angels of God. Testimonies of sexual behavior. Page 29. There are individuals today who can enter into home relationships, marriage and so on. And they do it, brothers and sisters, as a result of selfish motives. Satan was selfish. Satan always thought about himself and how he could exalt himself and build himself up. And so he instituted that mind into those who followed him and fulfilled his purposes. And so you find that Judas and many others were simply doing even what appeared to be good deeds out of defiled motives. And therefore, if there's a home today where there are individuals who function by selfish motive, you know, there are some people who come home and they will go ahead and see the dishes dirty. There's some children who come home and say, oh, the dishes are dirty. And they start washing the dishes. The mother almost has a heart attack and faints. She says, my child is washing the dishes voluntarily. (laughs) Right? Now, when a young person comes home and they wash the dishes, is that a good work? Yes, it is. But what happens when that young person, after they finish washing the dishes, then they go ahead and say, "Uh, Ma, can I uh, get that new iPod that just came out? (laughs) What was the motive of washing the dishes? You get it? So they can do a good work in the home, but have a foul motive. If you function like that, believe it or not, that's an attribute of the character of Satan, not of God. It is possible that we can even do good deeds, nice things, beautiful things, and we can do this stuff, but we can do it based on foul, selfish motives, how I can make sure that I'm fulfilled for something that I want. It's kind of like a wife coming home, and she looks at her husband, and she says, boy, I tell you, for some reason, you just look super handsome today. You know, you just, you just look abnormally handsome. There's something about you today that I just, I don't know if I've ever seen. You never look so much like Hercules. And, you know, she just starts... <laughs> Complimenting him, right? Is that a good thing? Sure, that's a good thing. You know, a wife complimenting her husband. But then she says, now, there happened to be a sale at the store today. (laughs) You know, I was just wondering if you might allow me to just use the car just once. Good work. Bad motive. Are you following And though we might at times seem like, you know, this is all right, this is a nice thing, and and this is cute, brothers and sisters, we have no idea. Sometimes our spouses become very offended. Parents become very offended when they see that the only reason you wash the dishes was so that you can get something for yourself. When can you get to the point that you wash the dishes because you understand you're a resident in this home and it's part of your duty to ease my burdens? Are you following A husband and wife become offended when the only time they can get a compliment and told how beautiful or handsome they are is when the other party is looking to fulfill some selfish desire. Husbands, do not compliment your wives simply when you're trying to fulfill selfish desires. Our wives should be told and reminded of how beautiful and how wonderful they are, whether anything is fulfilled or not. They deserve that. Amen. Wives, your husbands need to be affirmed and respected for the things that they do and their provisions for the home, if that's what they are, and so on, whether there's a sale or not. Are you following? So what's happening is we realize that Satan can come into our homes in many ways. And this is why we're going through this. Do do, do you see? uh, You know, I I don't want you to raise your hand. But I believe that what we're studying thus far, many of us are realizing that we've been sleeping with the enemy. 
I believe many of us are realizing that, you know what, the enemy has been in my home. Because there's many who are trying to usurp authoritative roles and positions that God has set up in the home. There are many individuals who totally function by selfish motive. That's why they do what they do and provide what they provide in the home. And God says, if you have a home like that, and if I have a home like that, that testifies that the dragon is in our home. And he needs to go. Because if we're going to have revival and reformation, selfish motive behaviors must leave. Usurping authority, we must become content once again in the roles that God has set for the house band and for that queen of the household. But there's another one. Revelation 13. In Revelation, the 13th chapter, is another characteristic of Satan. And this one especially deals many a times with parents. And I want you to look at this because, you know, when, when, I, when we look at this point here, I want you to really consider this as parenthood. And, you know, even though we're talking a lot about things that are taking place in a, in a household that has the husband and wife and the children and so on. And, you know, a lot of times we have single people. This, do you know that I wish so much that I studied Adventist home and child guidance way before I got married? For some reason, we feel like those books are reserved only when you're either courting and preparing to get married or when you're married. Do you know that, let me tell you something. You see the school to co-admissions that we're, that we're, that we're uh, working together? Do you know that that's going to be a required class for every student? They have to understand the Adventist home. They have to under, no student will come to that school and leave there not understanding how the home is supposed to be run. I don't care if they're 18 years old, 15, 16, doesn't matter. They have to learn it while they're single, while they're young, so they don't have to make as many mistakes as those of us have who got married and then found out about these books later on. One of the things that disturbs me the most is that when I sat down with my marriage counselor, he told me everything about his thoughts and a book he wrote, and he never once pointed my wife and I to child guidance in Adventist home. Not once. We had to find out about those books in our marriage. When I first picked up Adventist Home, I said, this is what it means to be a husband? <laughs> the first thing I had to do was go to my wife. I said, honey, I am sorry. I've realized I've been a fool. Are you following me? What I'm telling you is that I don't stand before you some perfect guy and like I got all this stuff mastered. Brothers and sisters, I'm studying these things out just like you. I really am, and I'm seeking by the grace of God to grow in his grace and his truth. But what I'm telling you is the reason why I speak with so much passion about it is because I hate what I'm seeing happen to the Adventist homes today. I hate it. It is doing more damage than we would ever know. And that's why God says, I want to fix the home. If I can get that home right, I'll get my church right. Get my church right, then I can go ahead and reach the community, the nation, and the world at large, and the work will be finished. Jesus can come, and we can finally go home, and there'll be an end to sin, death, sickness, and sorrow. But it will not happen until we get that serpent out of our home. And for many of us, that serpent is in our home because we have people who are trying to usurp authority and roles. We have individuals who are constantly trying to get all sorts of things from the other party with a selfish spirit. But there's one more, Revelation 13. In Revelation 13, notice what the Bible says in verse 11. Again, it says in Revelation 13 in verse 11, the Bible says, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him. And what's the next word? Causeth. Causeth. What does the word cause mean? To force. to force. 
It says he causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should even be what? Killed. So we find that this word cause is there. And it is one of the things that is an attribute of Satan's character is that he forces people to do things. He does what? Forces. He forces people to do things. Do you know if there's force in the home? Are individuals forced to do things? You know, you know where force is typically manifested most? From parent to child. Many a times, because we are parents, many of us feel that because I'm a parent, I'm just going to force them to do it, whether they want to do it or not. Now, brothers and sisters, while it is true that God wants us to definitely have our children do what, they want, do what we call them to do based on God's instructions, did you know there's a method? I mean, think about it. It's all right. When we talk about forcing the home, we're talking about the fact that, yes, it is true. We want our children to go ahead and do things like wash the dishes. We want them to go ahead and do things like have that time for prayer. We want our children to go ahead and do things like help out with the laundry. And we certainly want them to spend time studying the word. These are all good things that we want our children to do to help out with the temporal needs and to also cultivate spiritual moral character. We want these things, but we must understand that you cannot force these things. Notice what inspiration says. While we are not to indulge blind affection, neither are we to manifest undue severity. It says children cannot be brought to the Lord by force. Can you say amen to that? Amen. They can't. It doesn't work like that. Notice the next point. It says they can be what? Led. You see, what we have to learn is how to lead a child. Now, what's the best way to lead? By example, so there's no way in the world you can tell your child, why don't you pray about your problems when you don't pray? There's no way you can tell your child, why don't you go ahead and resolve these issues that you have with your friends when they hear you gossiping with husband or wife, talking about how messed up your friend is and what they did wrong to you and how you're going to handle it in the flesh. There's no way that you can guide a child like that. You're not leading them. Are you following? Because the best way to lead is by what? Example. So whatever it is that you want your child, there's no way you can tell that child to get up and have morning manna and you're not having morning manna. You can forget about it. It's not going to happen. You cannot say, why is it that my child just can't love Jesus when Jesus is saying, why is it that you can't love me? Are you following? You can't force these things upon children, but you can lead them. You can lead them. And the best way to lead is by example. My wife and I, we often talk about this. Be what you want your children to be. I want my child to be a child of God. Okay, then be one yourself. I want my child to be a person of prayer. Then you be one yourself. I want my child to be a student of the word of God. You be one yourself. I want my child to know how to resolve problems by trusting Jesus before they call a friend. Then you keep your phone on the hook and get on your knees, brothers and sisters. And start pleading with God, Lord, show me how to resolve my issues by just having a direct connection with you before I call my friends talking about, do you know what this person did and that person? And the list goes on. Be what you want to see in your children and you will find that you will better lead them and you don't have to force them. Are you following? So therefore, it says they can be led, but not driven. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Christ declares. Notice what it says next. 
It says, he did not say, my sheep hear my voice and are forced into the path of obedience. So they're not forced into the path of obedience. It says, in the government of children, love must be shown. Brothers and sisters, do you know that every time we raise our voice at our children, we're told in Testimonies to the Church, Volume 1, we're told that every time we raise our voice to our children, where we just were dealing with one problem, we just created two. Every time, every time we raise our voice and yell at our children. If you spank them, now brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. I really want to talk about this spanking thing. We're going to get into that tomorrow because tomorrow we're going to have something dealing especially with the children. We're going to look at God's plan in the sanctuary and how to deal with our children. So tomorrow we're going to be covering that one. But I will say this, brothers and sisters, if we are going to guide our children, if we're going to nurture them, if we're going to try to strengthen them and so on, we must lead by example. That's first of all, lead by example. We must understand that they must see in us Christ. But in addition to that, brothers and sisters, we must understand that, listen, they are not forced into the path of obedience. So while we don't force, we want to guide, we want to instruct, we want to nurture, we want to encourage, we want to manifest forgiveness when it is necessary. And there may even be times that we have to apologize. I remember you heard Brother Waller earlier today talk about VeggieTales and how that doesn't prepare our youth for the, for, for the final crisis and for the second coming of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you know I used to let my children watch VeggieTales years ago? So when I came home, I could have just come home and said, that's it, and just throw everything out the house. I could have done that. But you know what I did? I took that little box with those silly looking, talking, at, uh, you know, vegetables. And I just said, you see this right here? I said, what's this? VeggieTales, daddy. I said, yeah, that's very good. I said, listen, um, what's the work that Jesus wants us to do? We start going through the sanctuary. Well, eventually we got to the point about Jesus wants to finish the work. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to give us victory over sin. I said, where did you ever learn that in VeggieTales? Oh, we never learned that. We never learned that. We never learned that, Daddy. I said, all right, good. I said, therefore, would you agree that the Bible says whatsoever things are true? Is it true that cucumbers can talk? And he started saying, no, that's not true. I said, is it true that to me, when the last time you ate, a, you were eating your salad and something talked back to you? When did that happen? <laughs> and, and we talked to our children like that, especially when they were younger, because this is when they were younger. I said, when's the last time you ate your salad and they talked back to you? Did they talk? No. Even when you chewed it, they didn't scream. They didn't say nothing. <laughs> so, whatsoever things are true. So I said, do you agree that this is not true? They said, yes, we see that. So once they saw that, that's when we were able to say, so therefore, do you understand that mommy and daddy are going to have to take this away? We want our children to understand. Proverbs 4 and verse 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. I want them to understand it, so even if they see veggie tales, and for some reason I'm not there, they still know that's not going to get me into the most holy place, so that's going to stay on the shelf. And we had to say to them, you know what, mommy and daddy apologize. Because we know that we created the appetite in you for this thing. So what we're going to do is we apologize and we're asking you. We always teach our children, never just say, I'm sorry, because it's easy to go ahead and say, I'm sorry. And you don't know what that child is feeling. So therefore, we always say, say, I'm sorry. And then after you apologize, ask the person, do you forgive me? And you know what that does? That means the next time you, you tell your child, apologize to that person. And the child says, I'm sorry and you know that that's rude, you know that's insincere, then what you do is you say, go ahead and ask them if they forgive you. Do you forgive me? And you know what the child says? No. <laughs> and then when the child says no, the question is, ask them why. 
And then the child says, because of the way you said it. So now the child is understanding that an apology is more than just words. Now, can a person still harbor anger in their heart even though they say an apology the right way? Yes, it is true. I don't know what that says, brother. Or does it just mean time's up? Two, okay. All right. It is possible, but we want to work with the best that we can. So if we can help the child realize, look, you can't just with an angry tone just say, I'm sorry or whatever. You have to understand, look, you got to come to people with a spirit of sorrow and say, listen, you know, I realize I hurt you. I apologize. Can you really forgive me? I'm going to do, do my best by the grace of God not to do it again. And then it goes ahead and turns around. So we asked our children, we apologize for allowing you to watch these things. Mommy and daddy are going to have to go ahead and change some things around. And we just want to ask, will you forgive us? And praise the Lord, they all said, oh, mommy and daddy, we, we certainly forgive you. And then guess what we did next? We got rid of VeggieTales, but we gave them Janice's Attic. Some of you don't even know that program. One of the best programs that ever touched 3ABN. Seriously, for children, one of the, they practice dress reform, they practice health reform, they teach righteousness by faith, they teach health. I mean, I, I love that program, brothers and sisters. <laughs> I was sad to see that thing come off of 3ABN. I'm serious. Loved it. Lo I said, that's what children need. Nevertheless, we gave them something better. So in the taking away, you apologize, you make the wrongs right, you get the forgiveness, they forgive you, it's washed away, they can't bring it back up. So the next time they go into a store and they're watching VeggieTales and they see it playing on the television set, I can say, keep moving. <laughs> and when they keep moving, if they, say, if they try to say, but daddy, you used to let us watch. They say, ah, oh, wait a minute. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Let's keep walking. <laughs> keep walking. Do you get it? You know, I'm, I'm thankful that we can't laugh, but I'm telling you, really and true, th this is true. This will work. You let them know, this is passed away. It's dead now. It's over. You said you forgave us. It's over. It's washed away. Buried in the sea. Buried in the depths of the sea. Are you following? And so you'll find that God says to all of us, he says, look, we can do this. Uh, let me close on these points because my time's up. It says the combined influence of authority and love. Now, did we act in the scenario that I just gave you, did we act out our authority? Yes, we didn't say we're going to get rid of VeggieTales if you're okay with it. Did we say that? No, we, made it. we were unyielding. We knew we we're going to take it away. But we wanted them to understand. We wanted them to receive the love of Jesus in why we were doing it. And we gave them something better. And as a result of that, they were able to receive the counsel better. Are you following? So therefore, it says the combined influence of authority and love will make it possible to hold firmly and kindly the reins of family government. And I, single to the glory of God and to what our children owe him, will keep us from looseness and from sanctioning evil. Adventist Home 308. Brothers and sisters, Satan is in many of our homes through the usurping of authority. Satan is in many of our homes as a result of selfish, motivated actions of service. Satan is in our homes because of the way that individuals are being forced to follow a God that they should be able to be led to. And in all these ways, Jesus says, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. Jesus says, I'll give you rest. I'll show you how to overcome this thing. You see, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will do what? Draw all men unto me. Now, if you're being drawn to Christ, you're being drawn away from? 
And Jesus says that as you draw close unto me, I will draw close unto you. And as we become one, you will find that the home government will become a whole different place where authoritative roles are respected and even the children who behold it will see unity. They'll see the government of God in the home and they'll have a respect for it. Husbands who are loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives who are reverencing and respecting their husbands as the church is called to reverence and respect Jesus. Parents who are leading their children rather than forcing them where all the children do, do is obey and behave until they're 18 and then leave the home, leave the church, go back into the world and become some of the most wildest people on earth. I've learned that I don't want to have children that simply do what I say. I want children who love Jesus. I want children who actually love Jesus. And that does not mean to water down God's truth. It means to lift it up. But authority must be combined with love. Authority must be combined with love. And so you'll find that if you believe that, you know what, in some shape, form, or size, I have discovered that Satan has been in my home, but I want to draw close to Jesus. I want him to come into my heart so that as he is lifted up, I will be drawn to him and drawn away from the nets of Satan. If that's your desire and you're saying, you know what, I realize... I'm serious, brothers and sisters, because remember, we can all say revival and reformation we wanted in the home, but now we had some specific things brought to our attention. If you see today, you know what? I've had Satan in my home, but today I'm slipping him his eviction notice because under the power of Jesus Christ dwelling within me, and as I draw to him, by the grace of God, I'll be made free from the net of Satan, and my home will become a little heaven on earth. Would you stand to your feet with me? If that's, your, if that's your testimony, you're saying, yep, he was in my home. But by the grace of God, you will not be here anymore. Please study these things out, brothers and sisters. This is the feebleness of preaching, but I'm telling you, if we go point by point through these things, you will see that God will show us wondrous things from his word. Amen? Amen. Let us bow for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you have shown us today little snapshots of how we realize that Satan is attacking the heart and the heart of the community, the heart of the church, the heart of the nation is the household. And as he has attacked the household, he has tried to come within through the spirit of usurping of authority, through that self-motivated spirit, dear God, and even through the manifestation of force rather than leading. Lord, please forgive us. Teach us, Father, how that we may lead and instruct and guide and allow our homes to be a place that angels love to dwell. And Lord, I thank you that though these things may seem impossible with men, we're grateful that all things are possible with God. Give us strength, Father, and help us to stick to the commitments, knowing that he that has begun this good work in us will be able to perform it unto that perfect day. And we thank you for this privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.